Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 77 of the Essendon People podcast, our round one review for the game against the Hawks and our round two preview for the game coming up against the Gold Coast Suns. Brendan, probably don't need to ask this question. I know the answer. What did you think? Oh, oh, top of the ladder. Call the season over now. Give us the cup back where it belongs. Don't don't, got to worry about winning finals. Just give us the premiership. That's how it works, I reckon. Uh, Pretty pumped. What about you? Yeah, it was um, it was really good, uh, I guess, to see a comfortable win. And actually, I kind of forgot, you know, we did have some bigger wins last year and stuff, I think, against the Saints and things. But it was nice to relax and enjoy the second half of the game and know that you were pretty comfortable. So, um, I guess we – you go on. Yeah, I just wanted to say uh, it's just a message to Sam Mitchell, get a big dog up here. Uh, <laughs> you deserve it. Uh, <laughs> That's played Hawks two in a row, and you've last year, you what was it a forty point lead your team conceded, and we ran over the top with a big bomb by Peter Late, and this year we flogged you by ten goals. So uh, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, I think fair fair call. We um, we don't like the Hawks; they don't like us, and we hate them even more. So um, enjoy enjoy being down the bottom while we're up the top. I know it might only be for one week, but you got to take what you can take. That's it. So it was Essendon 1910 124 to Hawthorne 911 65. And Brendan, this really gave me flashbacks of when I was sort of, um, you know, a kid, you know, 12 years old or whatever, going to the footy. And you remember his dad used to say, you know, if they kick five goals a quarter, you know, we'd probably win this. And that was when scores were naturally bigger. And, you know, you might have kicked a score of 124 like we did on the weekend. And you might have only just be decided who kicked 112. Um, but generally, if you kicked five a quarter and you got finished a game with 20 goals, you'd, you'd probably win it and uh, go a long way to winning it. So that's pretty much what we did in the game. We sort of flashback to that, which was nice being at the G and it was a good crowd too, 68,000. And um, the atmosphere was good. It was a good start to the year for us. And it uh, could have been ugly if we didn't kick off the year that way. That's for sure. And I certainly, uh, we'll get into the quarter by quarter stuff there. So first quarter, Started out of the blocks really strongly, I thought. We kind of jumped them that first 10 minutes. Uh, had a lot of possession. Didn't quite put it on the scoreboard as we would have liked. And then um, they kind of settled and got back into the game. And then by the end of that first quarter, they had nine Shaw and Scots to our four. We were a bit lucky there that they uh, they only converted um, at 44%, kicking their four goals, five behinds. Um, so only trailing by 10 points at the first quarter. But overall, I thought... Um, we played not too bad. It was it was much better than obviously that time last year against the Cats. Yeah, I, I, my impression on the first quarter, um, I guess, was that the first five minutes I was pretty happy with. I thought it was pretty competitive, and we we sort of showed a fair bit of ticker and everything. And then they sort of started to have some shots on goal and, and sort of break open from us a little bit. And I I felt that we were getting a bit beat up in the middle, in the middle, and the midfield, and the clearances and things like that. And then when I looked up at the scoreboard and by the end of the first quarter, they'd had nine shots on goal. Um, 
and only through really inaccuracy was that keeping us within the 10 points. I know it was only 10 points at quarter time, but I wasn't terribly upbeat, if I'm completely honest, at quarter time um, because I sort of felt like I didn't expect, you know, things to turn around instantly in round one and, and that, but there's been a fair bit of change through the club. And generally, I guess what every club hopes for that's in the bottom eight the year before is to see something significantly different when the team runs out for a practice match or for the, one of the first games the next year. And the teams at the top eight are probably hoping for the opposite. They're probably hoping to see more of the same of what they saw the year before. So we fell into that first category. And at quarter time, I can't say that I was ter- terribly impressed with what I'd seen compared to the year before. And um, thankfully, that obviously changed uh, for the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, well, we can talk about this a bit later there. But I know at quarter time, I was with Dad and I looked at him and go, geez, uh, we miss Peter uh, today, uh, big Peter Wright. And I thought, oh, we're really going to struggle there. Although, you know, Wiedemann and Jones kind of had some good moments, particularly like Wiedemann kind of getting up the ground. And then when he didn't, he kind of made a contest. And it was just one of those things, oh, if we lose this game, it's a, it's a long year ahead. But uh, going into the second quarter there, we certainly uh, settled and got on top. Uh, had the nine scoring shots, kicking the five goals, four to Hawthorne's one goal, two. Uh, went from 10 points behind to 16 points in front, so a 26-point turnaround. Uh, really, really positive signs in that second quarter. Uh, midfield started to even out. The, the, those clearances, as you mentioned, started to start going our way. I really thought the uh, duo of Draper and um, Phillips in the ruck really gave good service to our midfielders there. Um, Zach Merritt started to get in the game. He was obviously heavily tagged early, and what he was doing, not so much with possession, uh, more defensive work, creating two-on-ones, trying to confuse the Hawthorne players, giving us an, a spare midfielder at the contest at all times because he was creating the mismatch. I thought that was really important from him as captain uh, and obviously our best player and best midfielder to try and influence the game whilst not win the ball himself. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I, I was feeling a lot better at, at half time. So uh, along came the break and, and we sort of uh, regrouped and we came back out in the third quarter. And I think um, what was most impressive about this in the third quarter, we had another nine shots on goal and kicked six goals three. So our conversion went up a little bit again and we won that quarter by 37 points and we held Hawthorne to just two behind. So it really felt like we dominated the quarter got well on top and uh, we went into the, the final break with a lead of 53 points, which was nice and comfortable and uh, not too many sides. I don't think are really coming back from that at three quarter time. So um, really put the foot down in the third quarter, which was nice to see. Yeah. And I think um, what was really noticeable in that third quarter, there was the forward pressure. Uh, obviously much talked about last year, how we, the ball was transitioned out of our forward line into the midfield so easily. And I thought uh, the inclusion of younger players and, and pretty much small forwards like Menzi and Davey uh, was really important. Last year we were kind of, it was Guelphio bust with our small forwards there. So to have more traditional multiple players in there can really stop the ball getting out, repeat entries. And that really saw us, you know, do really well. It's mentioned Essentially, for a half of football across the second and third quarters, we only conceded one goal. So, did did really well, 10 points. So, um, I was very impressed to come three-quarter time. 
Yeah, that leads us to the last quarter. A little bit more even. Um, I think, granted, Hawthorne kicked two or three goals quite late uh, in that game as well. But um, we were five goals, two, 32 in the last quarter to their four goals, two, 26. So we won the quarter by a kick, um, with six points there, and ended up winning the game by 59 points, which was nice and healthy. So score over 100. Um, it was good to uh, to see that and, and, yeah, pretty much dominated and uh, rounded out the game well with a good 10-goal win. Yeah, and the good thing about the win, as you said, Mark, is not just the the margin, but also the amount of goal kickers. We had 13 individual goal kickers on the day, uh, and that's obviously without Peter Wright uh, and Jake Stringer, who were our two leading forwards last year, and we managed to kick 11 of the last 15 goals in the game. So a real dominant performance uh, all around there. And it was um, a milestone game as well on the weekend for Dylan Shields' 200th. And traditionally, I think we mentioned this in the podcast last year, and it's been mentioned obviously in the media and things as well, but um, traditionally we haven't gone that well in people's milestone games. I think um, the captain, uh, Dyson Hempel, I think we lost his milestone game up in Sydney and um, I think maybe Darcy Parrish and and all of that as well. So it was good to get a win on someone's milestone game, see them cheered off uh, with the crowd still there and clapping them as they go off and getting a well-deserved uh, round of applause and standing ovation, which is good for Dill. And winning milestone games is important. I know some people argue it doesn't matter if if it's a milestone or not. You know, you got it's a game's a game. But I think what it does for you culturally in that you celebrate moments of importance uh, by having, you know, a good win and the mood changes and players feel more connected and engaged and then family come in, they give a jumper presentation, everyone's pumped and happy as opposed to really sombre uh, after a loss. So, yeah, uh, hopefully if we can start <laughs> a positive trend of winning in milestone games, it might see us uh, kind of become more connected and united uh, in the in the playing room. And you mentioned off the top of the podcast there that we're top of the ladder and um, obviously, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek and there's been a lot of stuff flying around on social media with screenshots of the ladder and things like that. And um, we're obviously well aware that, you, you know, the circumstances of playing probably the worst side in the comp straight up give, affords you that opportunity to do that. But nonetheless, it's been a pretty long time since we've seen Essendon on top of the ladder. So even if it only lasts a week, then um, I think we'll take that at the moment and just enjoy, enjoy seeing the site at least for what it is. And hopefully that's something that, Becomes a little bit more familiar again in the, in the near future. So what do we got stats-wise? Run us through uh, some of the key stats that you noticed. So, yeah, just with our disposals there, we had uh, 44 more disposals. And of that, there were considerable amount was contested possessions, 128. Uh, effective disposals at 77%, which is really positive. That was obviously uh, an issue that we've talked about uh, a lot over the podcast there about... Poor kickings, poor football. Uh, 32 clearances and 15 of them from the centre clearances, which was uh, kind of our stock standard kind of strength in the centre clearances. But stoppage clearances was a, a real um, positive for us. That's normally an area we uh, we lose there. And, you know, maybe the inclusion of some bigger body players in the midfield there, like a Will Setterfield, has really helped, helped us in the stoppages. Uh one, the marks, particularly marks inside 50 with 16. That's a that's a big number considering, as I mentioned, no right, no stringer. 
Uh, 66 inside 50s for the game, 29 scoring shots and converted at 65%. Uh, pretty good. I know, Mark, we've mentioned we'd like to get that conversion up above 70 as a pass rate, but I think uh, it, we certainly won't complain with the 65 on the weekend. No, definitely. And, um, yeah, that's that's a, a lot of those things, yeah, as you said, we mentioned last year and off of small sample size this year, that's that's a lot better uh, outing, which is good. But we'll jump straight into the good, bad and ugly. Um, with the good, we'll kick us off. And I guess we've got down here, um, the future has arrived with a question mark. And I guess what we're talking about there is Archie Perkins and Sam Draper. Really liked Archie's game. Um, possibly that's his best game for the club. He's had some good ones, but... 20 disposals, uh, kicked the three goals. He kicked three goals, three. So he could have easily kicked, you know, four, five, six goals potentially. Um, the way that he got those goals as well, it just he's got real good footy IQ and footy brain. He generates his own opportunities. He knows where to get. Um, there's not many players out there that you just... Uh, Archie's starting to quickly fall into that category at only 40 games of the, the guy that you think if he's near the ball, there's a chance that something's going to happen. Um, not, you know, not putting a superstar label or anything like that by any means on him, you know, but uh, I think he's a sort of player who just knows where to get. You know that he might be able to generate an opportunity. And not only did he kick three goals three, uh, but he hit up some other people who kicked goals as well. So he was involved in a, in a fair bit of the scoring. Then Sam Draper that we mentioned, eight disposals might look like a pretty quiet game, uh, but he kicked two goals. Arguably that could have been three. There was the... He almost pulled down a, a big mark from a long bomb inside 50, and you could have argued that it was either a mark or front-on contact, and you know he would have only been about 15 metres out. So he looked really dangerous. There was also one stage of the game where I can't remember which Hawthorne player it was. Someone sat in the hole, and I think I texted you at the time and said, if you sit in the hole, you're going to get draped because he, uh, he just steam trained through him. And I think you know missing Peter Wright, it was important that someone actually did that um, and gave that an option and had that physicality down there. So... I think Archie Perkins and Sam Draper was enjoyable to watch them. Yeah, Archie, um, it's noticeably in his third season. It looks a bit stronger in the body. That first goal where he just kind of broke the tackle, I think we said to each other, how strong is he through the hips? You know, he just kind of powered through that there. Um, really loved his game. Uh, would have liked to see, I think maybe we've talked about this, he's get more centre bounces. I think he's going to start the transition into becoming a midfielder, but obviously um, still quite a dangerous forward moment. Uh, with with Drapes there, I think his forward play is really important. I think he played 65% game time in the ruck and 35% forward on the weekend, as opposed to last year where he averaged 88% in the ruck. So obviously there was, with Peter out, had a focus of playing him forward. We've discussed um, how he could potentially be quite a good forward due to his athleticism and agility for such a big guy. Obviously very strong, so he's not going to um, lose out in a wrestle if they need to kick it on his head in the goal square there. And, um, yeah, it obviously opens up uh, more opportunities for uh, Phillips or Nick Bryan to kind of uh, get games in the ruck as a ruckman there, which is probably more suited to their strengths. Um, kind of connected with, uh, with Draper in the ruck is obviously the senior mid standing up. We talked about Zachy, uh, first game as captain, 29 touches, six inside 50s, I thought worked really well into the game after being tagged early and just showed in that second half how fit and how dedicated he is to there. Uh, I think the Hawthorne uh, tagger McGuinness just couldn't couldn't stick with him and 
whilst he was still tagging, Zaki was able to work him over and get uh, a lot of possession. Speaking of possession, uh, Darcy Parrish, 37 disposals, 13 clearances, 15 inside 50s. Had the ball on a string there. Uh, also thought his combination with Setterfield is potentially very interesting in that um, Parrish was able to be the under-the-nose of the Ruckman-type player, get the handball out and, you know, not be as reliant on others to do the work for him. And then Dylan Shield in his 200th game, 23 disposals, seven inside 50s, and went at 82%, which I thought was uh, pretty good for a bloke that's been maligned for his disposal in the past. Those are some guys that are are household names now, I guess, and and we'll move on to some that maybe aren't yet. But um, Will Setterfield and Sam Wiedemann, I guess, had their club debut. So Will Setterfield, obviously coming across from Carlton and Sam from, uh, from Melbourne, um, Will had a great game, 25 disposals, 10 marks, six tackles. He did, as you said, did a lot of that grunt work in the middle, uh, won the ball for us. And then Sam Wiedemann, obviously, you know, he was coming in um, as a probably a, what you call a second forward to Peter Wright, but, you know, pretty much overnight just before the game turned into the key forward at the Essendon Football Club. And that, that was a fair bit of weight to take. And I thought he did well. He presented well. Um, you know, clunked a few marks. Uh, I think impressively had four tackles, which generated plenty of opportunities. And he kicked a couple of goals. I think, I can't remember how many points he kicked. It was either, you know, one or two. So had a few shots on goal, which was promising. And um, yeah, I really liked that. And he strikes me as the sort of guy who just needs a bit of confidence, needs needs to know that, you know, the club has some belief in him. I don't think he was really ha- have that opportunity at Melbourne because of how strong they were. But I think if he starts to play, you know, five, six, seven, eight games in a row and understands that, you know, they've got faith in me, um, that potentially can bring his confidence up and, you know, maybe similar vein to what Peter Wright did, maybe not to the same level, but just needs uh, that trust and confidence in him from the club and um, might be able to go to another level that he hasn't been to yet. So, yeah, some good good club debuts there. Uh, speaking of uh, club debuts and career debuts, uh, Alwyn Davy Jr., obviously the son of the... Uh, of the great man, Froggy, uh, nine disposals, five marks, five inside fifties, and only the one goal. Um, there was, there was another opportunity was bursting in the goal and, and I unfortunately missed it there. Um, pretty, very exciting debut. I guess the one word I would use to describe it was class. I thought he's a very classy player. We've mentioned in the preseason stuff, how his fitness and, and defensive capability in terms of getting up the ground and applying pressure and tackles is, is really good for a, a, such a young player. Uh, so, yeah, really looking forward to see how he can develop and being a real smooth, classy player for us. Yeah, he looks comfortable at the level, doesn't he? And uh, you mentioned that he's a father-son. I guess the next one is a favourite son, so a return of a favourite son, and that's uh, Anthony mcdonald Woody. And that, to be honest, I've never felt more emotion, I don't think, at a game. As to, but I, I didn't really know what was happening. I was sitting up in the third tier, fourth tier, whatever it is, it being an away game. And um, the crowd just started erupting. And I thought that I, I didn't know what, it, what what was going on. And then I looked across and I just saw Tipper standing on the bench on the on the line ready to come on on his own. And it was as if it was like for the moment, there was not one other trainer, player, water person, AFL official, whatever, no one else standing on that line. It was just Tipper standing there just waiting to go right off the line and the crowd 
recognised that and just started getting up. And then I looked across and there was a player, I don't know who it was, that was coming off from the forward line, but they still had about 70 metres to run. Every metre they got closer, the crowd just got louder. And uh, and then he'd come on and they were just cheering and um, a chant started going up when he went down there and people were chanting his name. And it didn't take long before I think Merritt tried to hit him up and then uh, and then eventually got him a couple of minutes later and um, and then he had that shot on goal and it just... It was a really special experience, and um, and I hope it, I hope it meant something to Tipper because obviously he's been through a bit of a rough patch, you know, and um, it's easy to forget that he's he hadn't played in nearly six hundred days. So um, yeah, his fitness might not be there and everything, but I think it's important, you know, that uh, he recognises that he's really well loved, and um, I guess the fans and supporters got so much out of that, uh, even just that. You know, that five-minute patch of that was just sensational to watch. Yeah, and I really want to talk about Tibber, but talk before about doing actions that kind of get the group together, like winning a milestone game. Really, really important of Zach Merritt there in his first game as captain to be the one to look for Tipper to try and get the ball to him. He had other options, but he wanted Tipper to get that goal, and he got it to him. And I think, you know, maybe it's symbolic. It doesn't really mean much, but I think... Potentially, we talk about that changing of the culture, all the stuff we've had the, on the off-season, trying to move away from where we've been. I think that potentially is something that can really um, really galvanise the group going forward. Is this the standard that we must meet in every match and then exceed? And interesting that you mentioned that, because the other one that I noticed was you were just talking about Owen Davies Jr. a couple of minutes ago and his debut and kicking his first goal. When he lined up, to kick at goal, the one that he eventually got. I was watching Sam Draper, who was sort of lurking just behind him. And then it was I thought, oh, Sam's getting in here because he's he's got the gut feel that that this is about to happen and he wants to be the guy who initiates that celebration like he always does. And then he sort of started to walk back towards um, kind of the centre-half forward position. I think just getting – that was probably just naturally where he needs to go to zone up to be ready for a kick-in um, so that he can go either way. And then he just turned around as if he just said, nah, stuff it, I'm going to be right behind him. And he almost, he was almost in the protected zone watching uh, watching him walk in to have a shot at goal. And, and he was pretty much the first one there. And I think that that was a really good indication of, and we know that Sam Draper does that, um, but I think that, that was a really good indication of, you know, the culture and, and uh, I guess the spirit around the club at the moment. We saw that. We saw when Ridley kicked his first goal as well. So there were some good little signs. We might be reading into that a little bit too much, but... For me, it was better than not seeing those things and to be sitting here tonight questioning those things. So, um, yeah, some some good culture signs there. Yeah, so we've talked about the uh, the mids and the forwards. We'll quickly touch on the on the backmen there. BZT and Laverde as the key defenders there. Uh, high disposal numbers, but importantly, I thought Zach Thatcher with the eight marks and twelve intercepts, and Laverde with the eight rebound fifties and seven score involvements. Really thought. The drive they created as key position players was really important, especially Hawthorne only having the one forward, Kaczynski. And uh, BZT did such a good job on him, they actually subbed him out of the game. So complete domination by BZT. We'll quickly touch on uh, some bad category, I guess. And I I don't really want to call it bad because I I think that that's probably unfair um, for this. But um, we'll just mention some things, I guess, that were – we'll call them observations for this episode – so we went into the game with some players that were maybe a little bit underdone and, and I'm probably talking about um, Heckle, Caldwell, potentially 
Langford, um, having not played a lot, um, Tipper, obviously, and Jones, who was subbed off for Tipper. So just a few players who hadn't, um, you know, played much footy recently and, and had been coming back from injury. And I know they're going to come back at some stage, but I guess if you've got other options, it's never a good idea to go in with someone who's maybe not 100% and maybe that's not the message we want to send. So um, just a little note there, I guess, we might not get away with that against better opposition. That's right. And we, talk, we talked about the Hawks having that nine scoring shots on goal in that first quarter there. Um, very lucky that they kind of uh, didn't convert as accurately as they would have hoped. Um, and also, defensively, not being able to stop that momentum. They seem to have, we were in front, they dragged us back and then got on a roll themselves and we couldn't do anything to nullify that or nip that in the bud after one or two shots on goal. It kind of continued and flowed on and we are kind of almost trying to get to quarter time to kind of that circuit breaker. Yeah, and then a couple of other ones that we had here was just playing players out of the best position. And I guess this one is yet to be determined, but Kyle Langford's playing off, you know, half back or, or back pocket even potentially. Um, he played well on, on the weekend, but we know how good he is sort of at half forward or wing and, you know, kind of using his height up the ground like we spoke about in last week's episode. So I guess it remains to be determined whether, you know, are we playing him out of position and wasting him down there or is it a bit of a masterstroke by Scott? So... To be determined. And finally, just the tackle count. I think we had the 37 tackles for the game. Um, obviously, we, we had a lot of the ball ourselves, so you can't tackle yourself there. But obviously, that's a number we'd like to get up there. I think at a minimum, you'd probably want 60 uh, and pushing it a little bit higher there. Just we, we need to become a real physical, ruthless side, and that's what the, what the best sides do. Real high pressure, high octane attack. Don't give the opposition any air to breathe and just be all over them. Yep. And in our ugly category, uh, we just had Jaden Laverty listed there. Uh, he had a great game, but there was a little incident with a, a kick or a trip, um, which wasn't a great action to see. He copped the $2,000 fine, but was very lucky not to be picked up and, I guess, suspended. Uh, the other ugly is obviously the Peter Wright injury before before the weekend's game, but we'll go into that in a bit more detail later. So we'll just quickly roll through our Heath Hocking medal votes. Uh, I gave my five votes to Will Setterfield. He had a great game. My four votes I gave to Darcy Parrish. My three votes I gave to Archie Perkins. My two votes I gave to Sam Durham. Probably haven't mentioned him at all at this point, but I was really impressed by what I saw, and um, I think he's a lot better player than I even first imagined, which which is really good. And then my one vote I gave to Mason Redmond. Yeah, so my five votes went to Archie Perkins, four to Parrish, three to BZT, two to Setterfield, and one to Zach Merritt. Let's take a break, Brennan, and we will come back to go through a bit of news and VFL and everything else, Bombers. Brennan, we've talked about the game and probably arguably the biggest news to come out of the game and being such a good result was actually not the game at all. And that was a couple of days beforehand was Peter Wright, unfortunately dislocated his shoulder and done some subsequent damage by the sounds of it. And um, he's going to miss a fair bit of footing, unfortunately. Um, And I guess that came ironically or unlucky, I guess, straight after the news that he had signed a four-year deal, a a contract extension. So there was a, a club release earlier that morning saying, you know, four more years for for two-metre Peter. And then uh, within hours, we're starting to hear news that he'd gone down at training and hurt his shoulder. So a bit of a mixed day uh, for Peter, unfortunately, there. 
Yeah, the uh, the old pleasure and pain at the same time there. The pleasure, oh, yeah, we've signed him, obviously. Uh, a really important signing for us being our number one option forward, obviously the reigning best and fairest winner there. Um, we'll just talk about the contract there. He's 26, signed a four-year deal, so he'll be at the club to the end of 2027, uh, which will be about 30 by then. So it's obviously a really good deal for Peter and for the club, getting those prime years of his career. Um, Obviously, we got him on the cheap when we got him across from uh, the Gold Coast there. So, uh, yeah, we've we've done really well out of that, considering we played a a future fourth-round pick, I think it was at the time, and I don't even think Gold Coast even used that pick. So um, we're certainly well ahead on that one. And then, yeah, with the injury with the shoulder there, um, talk is that he's going to undergo a full reconstruction on the shoulder and he's going to miss the first half of the season. Some talk is that it might be up to 16 weeks or even he might miss the season in its entirety. Um, Obviously, I think uh, despite being top of the ladder and uh, raging favourites at the moment, uh, (laughs) come round 16, we're probably not going to be in that position. Um, so I don't think I would want to be risking him, rushing him back, re-aggravating it or causing any long-term issues that he has to manage throughout the rest of his contract. I'd rather just get him right and fit for uh, round one next year. Yeah, I fully agree with that. And I think if there's, from all reports, Peter is the ultimate professional down there. So if there's anyone that's going to, you know, get stuck into the rehab and make sure he ticks all the boxes and does it, um, I think we can. I think we can trust that Peter will do that. And I guess, um, yeah, there's not much more we can say other than we feel for him and um, wish him all the best in getting better and hopefully uh, not in too much discomfort for too long. So, just we'll talk about Peter quickly. How are we going to replace him long term? Obviously, I think you, you mentioned, and I think it is the case that Wiedemann now becomes the number one in the forward line. He's the go-to man. So we're almost replacing the role that Wiedemann plays as opposed, as, as opposed to placing the role that Peter plays. So Harry Jones stepped up on the weekend. Uh, I think he's still underdone. I think the, Brad Scott, the coach, acknowledged that. Uh, he pulled him off to bring Tipper on. And I think in this post-match, Perfect said, yeah, he's still not 100% fit. He was kind of blown up a little bit there and he wanted to kind of manage him through. So do you think... Jones is the long-term option as that second key forward? And if so, what does he have to do every game to justify his position? Yeah, I think I, I would like it to be Jones. And, and to be honest, um, he did really well on the weekend. And I, I, I've probably been pretty hard on him, um, you know, in some of these podcasts and last year and stuff. And um, I was a bit nervous that he was in the side and I was a bit worried about the output that we were going to get based on what we've had sort of the last 12 or 14 months from him. But um, he did really well on the weekend. And, and if I'm looking at it um, realistically, if he could, you know, perform at that level for, you know, at least the first half of the year, while we're likely to at least miss Peter for that amount as a minimum, um, that's all we'd be really needing. Because as you said, he's acting as the third forward and uh, or the second forward to, to Wiedemann really. So, you know, he got up the ground, he took some marks, he'd done some important things where he tapped it on and he gave other people opportunities. He crashed some packs. So, um, and he kicked himself a goal as well. Had two shots on goal, kicked one goal one. Um, that's really what you'd be expecting every week. Is he going to be able to produce that every week, given that he played Hawthorne on the weekend and that there's going to probably be stronger opposition coming up now on? Maybe not, but 
I think that that's the place to start and see whether he could back it up. So his fitness, I think, will be the one that determines whether or not he, you know, keeps that role as he did on the weekend. So um, the other one is probably, you know, we talk about wanting players to bang down the door in the VFL. And I think um, your man, Paddy Voss, I don't. I think he's he's like when you see on those police shows when they come up to a raid and they uh, and they have the big the big barrel thing that breaks the door down. I think that's pretty much what he's doing because I think he kicked another four or five in the practice match on the weekend. So um, that's another potentially option option there. What do you think? Oh yeah, well you know I mean, I'm in, get Voss in. Uh, I quite like the cut of his jib and I like as I mentioned the physicality that he would provide. Just something a little bit different there. Um, obviously had. Uh, Kane Baldwin obviously played forward for us last year. He's gone down back and has played really well in the VFL as a key defender. Potentially, that's an option to to flick him forward if if we need there. Obviously, a strong body, good overhead mark, and uh, can kick a can kick a long goal. Just on Kane, what's your personal opinion? Like we we both are massive Kane Baldwin fans. Obviously, I don't think that's any secret, but. Would your would you be leaning towards you know an opportunity's come up? This is potentially you know a time where we grab Kane and we say, hey, you're going to get multiple weeks here um, to fill a role, or do you say, you know what, we gave Kane a separate opportunity down back and let's give him the chance. You know, he's actually shown a bit down back and, and you know at VFL level and in some of the practice games towards the end of the practice games and stuff. Do we actually just say, you know what, let's not panic and bring Kane into you know, throw him forward again after he played forward last year, back over the whole preseason in the practice games and then back to forward. Do we settle him in the opportunity that we, that Brad Scott's given him earlier in the year or given the circumstances, do we reverse that and say, hey, Kane, another opportunity's come up? What, what's your personal opinion? What would you prefer to see? My gut feel is that he's a forward uh, who can play back. I think it's, it's easier to play as a defender than what it is as a forward. And then you, he's... Coming from a long way back with his with his knees there, um, I would like him in the side. I, as a kind of like Voss, I like his strength, his physicality. Uh, he's shown it at AFL level for a big guy. He's a capable pressure player. He tackles, gets down low, blocks for smaller players. Uh, but I guess if they see him potentially being a long term defender, I think that's something we should really invest in. Uh, we've got Cox and Reed who we you know, two top 10 picks that haven't been able to get in the park through back injuries. We ha- invested picks in uh, Josh Eyre and Cody Brand. Uh, they're no longer on the list. Um, I thought Brand was developing into quite a good uh, defensive stopper at, at VFL level, and obviously they've decided to go another way. Uh, Kean McBride, who knows what's going on there. James Stewart looks like he's moved back forward and is not fit. Um, so... I guess if BZT or Laverde went down, <laughs> it'd be Baldwin, really, wouldn't it? We don't really have too many other options. So I guess he has to stay back, whereas, you know, Voss can play forward. We've got Draper playing forward with Phillips and Brian rotating in the ruck. You know, you could do Langford out of the goal square. You know, you could even throw Laverde forward if you really needed to, whereas I think... Yeah, Baldwin back, I think, just because there's no other options apart from maybe a young Lewis Hayes who doesn't look physically ready. So I guess to, to close out this conversation and the, um, I guess, as you said, it's I don't think it's a matter of replacing Peter Wright. I think that, you know, Wiedemann obviously 
takes that role on at the moment and that responsibility, we're almost replacing Wiedemann's role. So you're selecting the team for this week. We've got 12 names listed there or 12 different scenarios as to what could happen. So um, there's a lot of options, but you're, you're coming up against Gold Coast this week. You had Jones as that person last week. You're picking the side for Thursday to be released. What's the name that you're putting down that goes alongside Sammy Wiedemann to try and help him out? Oh, what I would do would be Pivos. <laughs> what I think they'll do is Harry Jones. Uh, I think both Voss and Jones can play in the side together. Uh, there's also talk that Stringer might be fit. Um, Brad Scott seems to like the idea of Langford down back. So that's something that also needs to be factored in, as in that we won't have his hit up at half forward and marking ability. Um, maybe we, we go back to the future and we have uh, an Alwyn Davey as our key forward there. You know, we got Alwyn Davey back in the side. We, we bombed it on his old man's head for five years and treated him like he was Matty Lloyd. So, like father, like son, why not? Back to the years of uh, Alwyn Davey at uh, centre half forward and we can Leroy um, be Roy Getter. <laughs> yeah, that was good times. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to the VFL and the VFLW. So some leadership announcements. In the VFL, Captain Billy Cooney, 20 years old. He was the uh, 2022 award for VFL Best Clubman. The vice captains are Sam Pinforti and Brad Bernaki, who are familiar names in the VFL group there. And the leadership group is Jake Sutton and Jacob Brown. So round one for the VFL is coming up this week on Sunday at the Hangar. Uh, against GWS. So um, that's on Sunday afternoon. Uh, good opportunity, I, I guess, for anyone that maybe can't get to get to Marvel to watch the Suns game. Uh, there's plenty of talent there to support in the VFL and good opportunity to see the hangar as well, I guess. It's probably, uh, I guess we still want games at Windy Hill, but I think they're probably getting close to developing that and, um, and finishing cricket season from what I hear as well. So um, good opportunity to get around the hangar and I guess, the more times we play games like this there, the more times it'll feel like home, I guess. Yeah, and uh, really happy to see that they've gone with Cootie, Conforti and Bernacki. We obviously follow the VFL quite closely. They're three younger players um, who have a, have a bit of spunk and a bit of go about them, like they attack the ball hard, work hard both ways. So I'm really excited for them to kind of be the future underneath. And as we've discussed um a strong VFL program is really, really important, not only in terms of performance, but also in terms of culture. We talked about changing the culture. There's a strong connection between the senior side and the reserves where blokes who are on the fringe are coming in and out and that whole two-team, one-club mentality. I think it's really important and uh, hopefully uh, they can be long-term players for us and uh, potentially even get a get a gig on the, on the senior list one day. So we're going on to the VFLW. Again, uh, leadership group has been announced. So Mia Ray Clifford and Cordy Eugle are co-captains. Uh, Mia Ray was obviously the co-captain last year in the undefeated premiership side, and Courtney Eugle was the sole captain in 2019. Uh, interesting to note that uh, both the uh, Clifford and Eugle are Indigenous, and I think that's the first time there's been Indigenous co-captains uh, in the in the football there, or certainly in the Essendon football team. And that leadership group is rounded out by Maddie Wilson and Bella Clark. So their round one match is on Sunday at the Hangar as well against Box Hill. So it'd 
you get along to the hangar at 11 o'clock, you can watch the girls play, um, unfurl the premiership flag there as well, which would be good to see. Uh, and then the boys at, at 2.05. Yeah, big game for the VFLW because, as you said, came off a, an excellent year last year. And, um, yeah, unfurling the flag is always a special occasion. So I want to see plenty of support uh, for them at uh, the hangar for that. Moving on to the AFLW. So to list things, there's some players that were um, announced a couple of days ago that they would not be offered contracts for the 2023 season. And that was Eloise Ashley Cooper, Caitlin Sargent, Georgia Borg, Megan Ryan, and Federica Fru. So a couple of surprises in there, Brendan, particularly some names we're familiar with, like Federica Fru won the goal kicking uh, in the VFL last year and was a huge part of that premiership side. Um, and Eloise Ashley Cooper um, as well is probably one that we mentioned several times uh, on the podcast at VFLW um, level as well. Yeah, and it's interesting that Borg and Ryan, both being rucks, have been let go. Obviously, Borg was the number one ruck we brought in who played, I think, at Port Melbourne or Carlton in the VFL, and she got injured uh, prior to round one. And then the replacement player that we brought in was obviously Megan Ryan. I think people will be aware uh, she's the Irish woman that the, the club has got out there promoting a couple of funny videos of her, real great character, real great person around the group, kind of that connectedness there. So it'll be disappointing that for all five of those uh, girls that they're no longer in the AFLW side, but potential options for them to stay in the VFLW side, as you mentioned, particularly Ashley Cooper and Frew, who were part of the successful premiership year last year, and Frew being the competition leading goal scorer in, you know, so really important that she stays along with us if we want to go back-to-back. Uh, a couple of trades, players we've brought in. Cody Jacks from Richmond as uh, a utility, 22 years old. We traded pick 27 for Cody. And then Brooke Walker, a 28-year-old forward from Carlton, who we traded pick nine for. So both players are kind of real pressure players, uh, high work rate. So it's interesting that we've brought in two senior players that kind of that's their real go, that pressure, kind of like the, the senior men's side. We're looking for those pressure forwards there. We kind of brought in two in the in the senior women's side as well. All right, let's take another break, Brendan, and we'll come back to preview the game against the Gold Coast Suns on Sunday. So, Brendan, we're back in the uh, lovely Sunday afternoon time slot. Um, against the Gold Coast Suns this week, Marvel Stadium. So this is a good one because I don't, I don't know what the weather's meant to be, to be honest, but uh, it doesn't matter when you're playing at Marvel. So good opportunity to get to uh, Marvel where we, we typically go okay. And um, I guess we can make it a real fortress there this weekend. There'll be people up and about. And if it's anything like last week was an away game and there was still plenty of red and black there at the G. So we can get a big crowd to Marvel. We'll uh, drown out the 12... Gold Coast Suns fans that turn up and be a bit of a fortress in there. It would be nice, uh, nice atmosphere for the team to go around again and hopefully provide some more domination. That's right. If we can get a good 40,000, 45,000 in there, um, really support the boys. Our first home game for the year. Um, really, really kind of set the tone. This is a new, new coach, new captain, new era type thing. Um, yeah, really, really exciting, as you said. Really make that Marvel a uh, real fortress or it's give us a real unique home ground advantage like we would have had in the old days at Windy Hill. 
Definitely. So we'll roll through some injuries. We mentioned Peter Wright uh, already. So that's, you know, potentially, I think a 12 to 16 week injury at this point would probably be a good result from some of the murmurs that are starting to come out. Um, so hopefully, yeah, just wishing Peter to get himself right uh, first and foremost before we talk about footy. And then uh, Ben Hobbs with his calf, he's a test. Matt Guelphy with his calf, he's also a test. And um, hearing some of Brad Scott's comments, it sounds like Guelph's pretty close, to be honest. Um, so that's exciting. Jake Stringer with his hamstring, uh, he's a test. And I think the way that Brad Scott described it was that he's medically fit to play, but he's not match conditioned and not match fit. So um, a bit of a process there to go through to make sure that when he comes in, he stays in, I think is what Brad was getting at there. Nick Cox with his back three to five weeks away. Um, that's an exciting one, isn't it? Because uh, it'd be nice to have Cox available for selection again. Uh, James Stewart, as you said, with that uh, plantar fascia, he's um, three to five weeks away. That's a nasty injury. So that, that'll be a, a um, cautious approach, I'm sure. Zach Reed with his back is five to six weeks. Uh, Elijah Sardis with his knee is still three to four months away. And Jaden Davey with his ACL. Unfortunately, we won't see him this year. What about Gold Coast? Are there any notable injuries on there? side yeah so brandon ellis obviously a really good player for a long time he's got a calf kind of butterick who's a really kind of intercepting defender really works well in their back six he'll be missing with a knee bailey humphrey who's their first round pick uh the player that was selected after we took sardis in the draft uh he's a test with a foot injury and then Lockie Weller, uh, senior player at the Gold Coast. He's actually this could possibly be his first week back from an ACL, so not quite sure whether he'll be at VFL or AFL level there. But uh, is potentially an option for them to bring in, considering he's one of their better players there. Uh, just going back to ours there with Hobbs, Guelphie, and Stringer. I think you're right. It sounds like Guelphie's ready to play. He played the practice match last week and the week before to get some match fitness. So he looks ready to go. I think Hobbs is close to returning, but I think he'll get he'll be in the VFL there just to get some match fitness. Obviously it's probably been a, a four to six week calf for Hobbsy there. He's missed all the preseason games. And then as you said, Jakey's working back into some match fitness there. I think it'll still be one to two away. Question without notice, but Hobbs I think did Hobbs play some VFL last week in the Prague? I think he may have, right? But I think it might have been restricted minutes if he did. Yeah, yeah, good sign. Um, okay, well, we'll go through maybe a bit of the lineup and some key matchups um, that might come out of that. So um, the Gold Coast, I guess, remembering back to last year, they sort of were hunting around the eight there for a long time, and it wasn't until late in the season, I think, that they sort of fell out of that race. But um, they'd be looking to push into their first ever finals um, kind of uh, experience uh, this year. And uh, it's been a bit of a long time coming for them, but their list is at that sort of stage where, where they could. There's some handy players on there, so they're not going to be easy beats. I think a lot of people probably historically feel like Gold Coast have always been easy beats, but they've um, they've got a decent list now. Yeah, so we'll go through, their, through what is a projected uh, 22 from us looking at their list. So obviously... Probably close to their best player is Sam Collins there at, at full back there. Uh, probably one of the better defenders in the competition as a whole. Obviously got that uh, that head knock last week against uh, Buddy Franklin from Sydney. So uh, hopefully he's he's fit uh, there and available to play because you don't want players missing with concussion. Uh, Darcy McPherson is kind of a real, uh, you know, Mark Bagley style terrier in the back pocket there. 
some senior players in Ben Long and Charlie Constable from other clubs there have come across, giving them a bit more um, grunt from the halfback there. And then we'll move into their midfield where is probably where their real strength, their wits, obviously one of the premier ruckmen in the competition. Uh, Took Miller, one of the premier midfielders in the competition, and then some younger stars in Rao, Anderson, and then Ainsworth, who's moved from a flank and a pocket into a wing. And I think uh, the top five pick, I think, initially when he was drafted, um, got a bit of pace and a bit of go about him. And I think um, he can develop into a really good wingman there for them. Yeah, and then we've got, uh, if we go across the forward line, Sam Flanders, uh, Jack Lacocious, Joel Jeffrey. So Flanders and Lacocious are uh, developing into really good players. Up forward, Nick Holman, a bit of a bash and crash uh, player with a bit more experience. Been around bound for a while now. Ben King, uh, obviously, doesn't really need an introduction. He missed last year, but uh, he's back now and very dangerous player. Marby Ochoa, um, he had a great year last year. He took 40-odd goals and, and was probably one of the trades of, of the year, along with Peter Wright. Um, also... Uh, Got on the interchange there. We've got Lockie, Lockie Wella, Elijah Hollands, another handy player who's only a young player as well. Alex Davies, Levi Casbolt, big unit. Um, will take some handling to, to keep him under control up forward if he rotates through there. Had a happy knack of uh, playing his two good games a year against us as well, both at Gold Coast and at Carlton there. So he obviously poses, him and Chol pose challenges for us just through their size. Like, Casbolt through his strength and Chol through his athleticism at that height. And then if you look, our back line's probably, especially key defenders, is not that strong. But we've got Lukosius, King, Chol and Casbolt all potentially playing in that forward line there. So um, matchups and getting off your man and working for each other third man ups is really going to be important for us. And I think we spoke about, you know, the depth in their midfield and that they've got some stars in their midfield. I think the assistance for the back line and shutting down some of those bigger players is actually going to come from our midfield. So if we can stem the supply and change the, the type of ball that's going in there, because we don't want them sitting it on Levo Casvalt's head because he's going to outmuscle probably most people in our back line. Um, but he's also pretty rubbish when the ball hits the ground because he's not the most mobile guy and, um, and doesn't look the fittest either. So I think, it's going to be not only the guys that line up on these players, but also the midfielders stemming that flow and defensive running back and applying enough pressure um, that they're, they're not getting good opportunities. So that's going to play a part of it as well. So we'll get on to some key matchups there. So we'll start with the with the key forwards. Uh, King and Chol, I think, are going to be the two main ones they went to. Obviously, Chol, Chol kicked the 40 goals last year and King's their best forward. I would send BZT to King. I think uh, that's something we've got to start transitioning to BZT becoming the number one uh, key defender. He's looked pretty good last week. He played on Kaczynski as the number one key defender last week. He's more natural matchup in terms of height. Uh, Chol, I would actually send Jordan Ridley to. I think Rids is very athletic. He can float across. I don't think Chol's going to get in too many dangerous spots, so Ridley can maybe take a bit of license, sag off him, help others out. Casbolt or Lukosius, I don't think all four of them are going to play in the same forward line at the same time. I think Laverde to Casbolt, just for we need someone who's a bit strong. And then Lukosius, I think Laverde can do the job there too because I think Lav will be able to 
body him under the ball and his height advantage won't hurt as much. That probably takes us into the ruck battle there. So Jared Witts um, mentioned he turned into a pretty good ruckman uh, since going across to the Gold Coast. So this is going to be a really interesting matchup, actually, because which traditionally is not your crash and bash. You know, it's not like um, who was that Muppet that used to play for Gold Coast, uh, for GWS that used to hurt him? Mumford. Mumford. He's not like a Mumford sort of style. So um, I think Witts is very much good tap work. He pushes you around the ground. He's smart um, and just a hard worker. I think this would be a good test for Draper because Draper could take advantage of him with his strength and with his and bully him a little bit. And, and it might be a good opportunity for Draper to assert himself, um, you know, as a dominant ruckman, as the more dominant ruckman on the night, so or on the day. So um, interesting matchup because they're they're kind of different styles of ruckman, um, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not we try and I guess exploit them in the ruck by you know, going with Phillips again or bringing in Brian or something like that as well. Yeah, I think uh, I think Casbolt will be the second ruck to, to wits in this game. So, yeah, it would be very interesting. If we decide to play Draper forward more, I think there's a real opportunity, we'll talk about it later, maybe bring Brian in. Brian is very much a similar type to wits. I think wits is the type of player we want Brian to turn into taller ruckman, lean, really mobile, tap work. So it might be a real good education for for Brian to play against a really good player. I think the time is now on Brian's fourth year to really start and establish himself getting games. Uh, we talk about we need this combination of Brian and Draper to really come on, and that's UMI's hope because we can see revalue in it there. So with Peter not in the side, at the moment, um, there is an opportunity to play two ruckmen, and it's not being too tall. So yeah, and Andy Phillips didn't exactly sort of play the house down last week. I think he only had a handful of possessions, and he, he did his role well. But uh, and potentially he was um, probably pretty tired. I think he'd only his child had only just been born a few days before. I think as well. So um, probably give him kind of a bit of slack there, uh, preparation wise, but yeah, it might be a good opportunity for, for Brian to have a crack at it, given that the matchup is more suitable. Yeah. Uh, obviously talked earlier about Sam Collins being one of the premier, um, key defenders in the competition. You think that he would go to Wiedemann being our number one there. I think what weeds has to do is what he did last week. Um, just get to contests. I think try to get him up the ground. Wiedemann's kind of like Peter. He's really good hit-up player, leads strong, hands out in front, uh, kind of maybe get Collins away from goal a little bit. And that allows a Jones or a Voss or a Baldwin or Draper or whoever else we decide to play forward to um, kind of get a mismatch or get a bit more one-on-one time because Collins is very good at beating his own man and then sagging across to help. So if we can get him kind of out of that area, uh, I think that'll be a real win for us. Uh, we'll move on to their midfield. Um, Miller, Rowell and Anderson, we talked before. Um, took Miller, is this an opportunity that we send Jai Colwell to do a defensive job like he did last year with Lockie Neal? Took's an inside-outside play. He's tough, but it's also very classy. I think that's a real option for us there. Um, if we didn't want to go down that route... Um, Potentially, you'd run him head-to-head with Merritt, just have the two best players. I think Miller's also the captain at the Suns as well, so captain v. captain, star v. star. Uh, that'd be a good matchup. Uh, Rowell and Parrish 
I think it pretty much is a very similar type, both in and under, small stature, uh, not really going to kill you on the outside. And then with Anderson, uh, he's a taller midfielder there. Um, good kick. I think he has the potential to become a really good player of the competition. He might he might look to pop uh, this or next year to become potential Australian. I think there's two players we could go there. I think the natural fit would be Will Setterfield, being that taller midfielder there. He's obviously going to play a lot of time in the midfield there. Or Archie Perkins. I thought we talked about getting Perko in the middle a bit more, uh, get into some more centre bounces. I think, yeah, that'll be really exciting to see that match-up work and also to see Perko get some more midfield time. Yeah, I'd love to see uh, Archie attend some centre bounces there. That'd be be good sight in itself, let alone, yeah, to go heads ahead with someone like Anderson, who's probably at a similar progression and career development stage. Uh, you mentioned that Lockie Weller might uh, come back this week from his ACL um, injury. Who could you see potentially, uh, I guess, matching up on him? Oh, I think it just depends where he plays. If he plays at a half-back there, maybe you might throw a, um, an Alwyn Davey on him and maybe try to expose him for a bit of pace in his first game back. Um, if you were to play a pressure forward, you could have Menzi or potentially even Guelph if he comes in there. Although, you know, there's other options with Guelph. I think he, you, someone who's really, really attacking off half-back is the guy you got to you got to send Guelphy to and really shut down that thing there. So maybe Ben Long there being a stronger, more physical player that might suit Guelphy as well. And that might also, I think Gold Coast might want to send Long to to Davey, try to maybe rough him up a little bit. Whereas if, if you can have Guelphy do that job and kind of being a bit more of a senior body, fire with fire type thing and not let Long get away, away with it. So probably leads us into, we've probably kind of touched on a few of these already, but the potential ins and outs for the team, I think the team will be largely unchanged as it is when you play pretty well. Um, but maybe some of the ins and outs, we've obviously mentioned uh, in the ruck bringing in Nick Bryan for Andy Phillips. So I think that that's, that's probably one of the ones that we, we would see or we would like to be initiated. Um, the other one that we had listed here was we mentioned Mac Welfie. He has played a couple of practice games and he's ready to come back in probably. And um, all indications from the coach seem that he, he probably will be on his way straight back to the senior side. Uh, the obvious out there is probably Tipper. He played the sub role, um, you know, played it well, and, and it was a really important game uh, for him to, to get done. Um, but I think he just needs that match fitness now, which I don't think he's going to get by playing that sub role. So, um, Golfie maybe in, Tipper out, Tipper goes back to the VFL, gives the guys there an education, gets his minutes up, gets his Ks up, and then um, works his way back into the into the AFL side. I agree. I think um, the best possible outcome with Tipper is what, is what happened when we picked him. He came on late and then kicked the goal, got around him, got connected. Like, it couldn't have worked out any better. right? And now is the chance. Maybe you say... You know, with Gold Coast this week, St Kilda, GWS, the weeks after, why don't we say, okay, we'll give you Anzac Day. We're going to work you up for Anzac Day, get you fit, give you a month in the VFL to get your match fitness up, and then come Anzac Day, you're in the you're in the starting eighteen, and go nuts, right? And that'll um that might be a way to do it. Right. We're a young side. Let's expose some young players against sides that we can potentially 
match or beat, right, and then have Tipper as that cream on the top player for when we really need him in the big games like Anzac Day. Definitely. All right. What's your uh, prediction? Win, loss, margin? Okay. Well, I think we'll win. Um, Gold Coast, probably a better side than we are. Well, we certainly thought that way coming into the season. And they got touched up nicely by Sydney. So they will be smarting and they'll really want to prove themselves against us. I think it'll be a much tougher game than what it was against the Hawks, but I still think we'll win. Uh, I think the margin will be, I'll go three goals. What's that? 18, 20 points. Um, Yeah, and then best on ground, I will go... I'm going to go Jai Corwell. It's one of those games where he's not going to star, but he's the most influential, especially if he goes to Miller and can shut him down. What do you think? I, I like your predictions and I hope they come true. Uh, yeah, mine, uh, Essendon win. I'm going a little bit more closer game by nine points. Best on ground, Sam Draper kicks three goals, dominates the ruck, best on ground. I'd also like to see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I think that does us for the pod this week. It's been um, pretty enjoyable doing it after a big round one win and sitting on top of the ladder. I'll tell you that. It's, um, it's a nice experience that I can get used to. So uh, that's been good. Hopefully look forward to doing that again next week. That's it. All right. Go the Dons. Go Bombers.